Um, welcome to another amazing EduLaunch party by EduMatch Books, and I am so excited to be here with one of our own today. Um, this is Dr. Casey. We are so excited to see you. We are so excited for your new book. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell people a little bit about who you are? Thank you, Mandy, so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yay, book number two, Cog in the Machine. <laughs> I am a <clears throat> educator who's been in the profession for 20 years. I have the honor and privilege of being a consultant, working at international, national, local, and state levels. And I also, and this is the bestest, coolest part, get to teach education methods to future teachers. And I am so happy along with my book, Thinking About Teaching. Now I have a cog in the machine. So I've got two. I've I know. I'm so excited. I know. And we're going to have to talk a little bit about thinking about teaching as well um, so that everybody knows that they can buy both of your books. Um, Absolutely. Well, we're going to start out with um, with Cog in the Machine. And one of the things that I would love for you to touch on, and I know this wasn't a planned question, so I hope it's okay. Um, <laughs> what? Tell me a little bit about the title. How did you come up with that? You know, Mandy, I love that you're asking me that because people look at it and they're like, I've heard that phrase before. Yes, yes, people have. But it's always in the idea that you can't make change, that you're a chunk and that you're a widget and you get moved in, in and out. You make no difference in the world. So what I wanted to do with that title was to shake people who are thinking about going into teaching thinking about going into education administration who are or who know and love somebody and know, I don't know how to help them. They can read this book and understand that day to day, yes, we feel like a cog in the machine. But when you get that Facebook message or that text or you read about a student that you had and they say to you, Thank you for making all the difference in the world. You're like, ooh, maybe I'm not a cog in the machine. Maybe I have a difference to make. So I wanted to take pain. I wanted to take agony. And I wanted to take negative and flip it into a positive. Because um, somebody I know wrote a book about reinventing or themselves or reigniting the flame, <laughs> would you believe? And so I was inspired a little bit by my fellow author to take a moment where you're like, oh, this is not to, oh, I made a difference. Yeah. I love that. And I, I, I actually, again, it was kind of an unexpected question, but I was thinking about your book today and, um, and the title. And I thought, I wonder how he came up with that. It's so interesting and, and really different. And I, and I love that explanation. Um, and it, one thing that I love about you, Casey, I love many things about you, but one thing that I love about you is that you have such a different way of looking at stuff. Like I, every time we have a conversation, I feel like I come away with something that I think, oh, I, I never thought of it that way. And that's one of my favorite things about having conversations with you. Um, 
and and working with you too as, as through EduMatch and then as a fellow author and all of those kinds of things and just as a friend. So I yeah. I really really do appreciate you. Um, so what uh, what inspired you to write Cog in the Machine? What was it that was kind of the catalyst for that? It started with a deep seated belief that we have to recognize that we are doing good, we can do better, but we also have to ensure that we value our small wins, but we also value our long-term wins. Because if I were to look back on my 20 plus years in education, I would, as a critically reflective educator, go, (laughs) but, but, if I take it from a small wins perspective, oh, I made a difference. And again, it's the littlest, teeniest, tiniest cog in a Swiss watch that makes the ticky motion, right? Mm -hmm. But it's also huge, huge, huge cogs that turn other bigger, bigger, bigger cogs so that we can have steel, so that we can have our lumber, we can turn the fields for farm. But we also have to remember our students, just like we as educators often do, they feel like they're just a little cog in the machine. But if we sprung, break one of those little cogs, the whole thing falls apart. So we've got to spend a lot of time thinking about how we can band-aid those little cogs, sometimes band-aid our little cog and keep it going. And as we become a bigger cog, right? And you're doing this, you're earning your doctorate. I finished mine. Mm -hmm. Dr. Sarah, who's with us, our founder. I don't think any of us realized when we first started our career, how we were going to grow and move a machine. And this, this book, this realization is every little part is super important. And we've got to honor that and we've got to love that and we've got to fight it and we've got to battle it. And when we start to get worn out, you don't throw that cog out. You put a washer next to it, and put another <laughs> washer next to it, and you've got support. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, and really, you know. I love the idea that all of us are making little, uh, well, there's so many things that you said, but I love the idea that all of us are a part of this, whether we want to be or not. Sometimes we are always a part of what, what's growing and changing and happening for, for better or worse. Um, We all have a part in that. And also I think the piece of the little wins is really going to resonate with people, especially right now, um, because Right now, I think a lot of what's happening is people feel like they can't get a win anywhere, no matter where they turn. Um, When in reality, there are little things that are happening every day that are sort of those little joyful moments or or little wins, uh, you know, that that are what um, keep us going and keep us moving uh, in the machine, to use the metaphor. So, yes, I absolutely love that. And why? 
so we had, I know in the beginning, we had a lot of conversations about your book and how to get it, um, you know, what kind of direction it was going in. And, and I love that it's so story-based. Um, one of my favorite things about you is how you tell a story about your writing. It's how you tell a story. Um, it draws you in. Uh, I don't know if it's your language. I don't know if it's, I, I don't, I can't even put my finger on what it is, but I love uh, reading your writing. And so the next question I'd have to ask kind of goes back to the purpose of the book. And it's why is who you are so important to teaching? This gives me a wonderful opportunity to shout out my students, mm -hmm. past, present, future students. I had a student come up to me not that long ago and say, Dr. J, you made the semester bearable. And I said, no, you made it bearable. I just told the jokes. <laughs> and I think from me and from my perspective, it, my moves, my life, my story is um, humble because while I'm very accomplished, my order of the arrow vigilante name is accomplished one. Thank you, mm -hmm. mom and dad, by the way. <laughs> I truly don't think I've ever earned that right to be called accomplished one. And I try so hard to be a humble servant because I am always trying to live up to what I feel I should be doing. And, you know, recently the Dean of the school of education where I work said to me, I'm always amazed by how you tell a student who, even if they are on the precipice of failing, that you tell them they're not failing, they're learning, and that you're going to give them the ladder to get out of the hole. And I think as a teacher who had more misses than wins when I was in the classroom, especially as a younger teacher, um, I cannot thank Nancy Hinckley, my mentor, enough because she saved me. I don't know how many times I can count. <laughs> and I was smart enough to keep my mouth shut and let her do the stuff. And so one of the points that I've realized is that the only thing I'm really good at is saying I need help and I want to help others. So that is where I believe who I am comes from. And we talk often about teaching being an act of self-reflection. Mm -hmm. And we also talk a lot about the fact that, you know, you, as somebody who is in the Midwest, has a different perspective than I do, who's in the Northeast, than Dr. Sarah, who is in Northern Virginia, versus Irene, who's one of our other authors, who's out in the Middle East. Yeah. And we all have to see the slices of what our background is to complete the constellation or the kaleidoscope of who we are. And I hope that as our country in the United States changes and demographically we change, we go back to each of us has a valued experience. Even if it's a different lived experience, it's a valued experience. Yeah, absolutely. And and that all of all of those different experiences and everything that we bring to the table is what makes our organizations stronger. Um, you know, uh, it reminds me a little bit of... Um, we, um, our, our book, Carly Spina has a book that's, that just came out 
And in it, she really addresses how uh, ESL students are often looked at as having a deficit in in the English language, that they don't speak it as well, they might not know it as well, all of those types of things. And in her book, she addresses how actually amazing it is that they speak two languages. <laughs> and we don't more. that enough. We don't, we don't say, oh my gosh, ESL, you know, students who are, are in ESL programs, they speak two languages. How amazing is that? We say, oh my gosh, you know, this deficit mindset, these kids don't know English. And, and it, it's what those kids bring to the table that's so important that we don't we don't always recognize. And I would say with um, with adults, we sometimes do that same thing, that our experiences and, and our strengths are what make the entire education system stronger. Um, yeah, I love that. So um, I'm excited to hear this one because you've had so many. But what is your proudest achievement? My proudest achievement to this point is when my former students come back and say, thank you for being you. And thank you for being there for us. I've got awards. I got plaques. I'm an Eagle Scout. I'm kind of happy with that one. <laughs> but my most proudest accomplishment is when my students say, thank you for being there for us. And that to me means more to me than any other accomplishment or achievement because it means the mission the responsibility to be there was fulfilled in a way that allowed somebody to either find their way out of a hole to advance a million miles to climb a mountain they thought unsummitable or to cross an ocean in the middle of a hurricane because people aren't impacted when life is smooth. Mm -hmm. People are most impacted when their deepest, darkest thoughts, their heart or their gut is going. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, I, I didn't even realize I was there. And it wasn't until later when they said, hey, you know, you were there. And it's like, but I just was, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think we must reflect on this so profound, important point. And I said this to my, my teachers because they are about ready to go out in the field. My colleagues who've grown tremendously over the semester I said, when you walk into school, it is like an actor or an actress walking onto stage. You become the person. Mm -hmm. And I taught them that when they hit that threshold of the door to go. <laughs> and it's almost this idea that yes, you can have the outside world, it can affect you, it can dramatically, dramatically impact you. But for those six hours or eight hours, or as we in the education field like to call our career, <laughs> right? We are always there. We are always on point. And we have to learn to apologize if we let the mask slip. Yeah. Or if we let reality impact, mm -hmm. you know? 
We need to learn to take a deep breath. We need to learn to recenter. We need to follow some of the mindfulness <laughs> that, uh, I don't know, one of my fellow authors, maybe Nancy, has <laughs> written about, you know. But we also have to do something more important, which is we have to call time out when we see the world not as we want it to be. We need to say to a higher up, we need to say to our colleague, we need to say to a child who is struggling, hey, time out. How can I help you? Mm -hmm. What can I do to get you recentered and refocused so that we're not learning content. You can pick up a book and learn history. You can pick up a, 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 a video to learn math. Still learning on my part, which is why I'm a historian. <laughs> but you can never, ever, ever unlearn a moment when somebody doesn't feel safe, when somebody doesn't feel an adult cares about them, or when somebody doesn't feel that their question was answered. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and like you said, there are so many times when we don't even know what we're doing. It, I, and I really think that sometimes it's in those moments when we don't know what we're doing, when we have the most profound impact, like when, when we set out to do something, like how many times I set out to have an amazing lesson, or I thought, or even if it was relationship building, where I thought I am going to have an amazing conversation with this kid, I am going to sit down with him, I am going to get him to talk to me, and it would all just blow up in my face <laughs> one way or another. And, and yet it's those little moments. Um, I had a student I saw a student, uh, my last class that I taught graduated this year. And um, so I saw one of those students in a high school and her mom happened to be there. And her mom said, um, you know, you had such a, a huge impact on my daughter. And, you know, she wrote about you in this, this paper that she had to write for her senior, senior thing that they were doing. And, um, and I said, oh my gosh, that's, that's amazing. I always knew she was going to do great things. And she said, yes, but she's like, you told her she was going to do great things, even when she was like, her behavior wasn't so awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, and she's like, so you said to her, not only when things were going well, you said, you're going to do great things. She's like, but you said when they weren't going well, you're still going to do great things. And she's like, and that was the difference maker right mm -hmm. there. And I thought, oh my gosh, I didn't even notice I did that. Like, it was just something I said to her all the time. And, um, <clears throat> And now she is doing doing great things. And and I really think it's those little moments that make us make us the teachers that we are, just like you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And we need to reflect on that point because as a caring field where we do not see sometimes the winds, where mm -hmm. it's a long time before the what's the old expression if you want to eat today fish if you want to eat this year plant wheat if you want to eat for forever plant tree or uh in 10 years plant trees if you want to change the world educate uh i probably bungled that and i apologize to every <laughs> single scholar watching this, i thought there was something about fishing in there I I, <laughs> maybe i'm mixing metaphors i do that which is one of the reasons my writing sometimes you went where are you going with this? But, you know, but I think that, you know, you're, you're absolutely right on that. And, 
you know, I, I give our students, especially amongst our students who were born after the introduction of the internet, mm -hmm. so much credit because they are just bombarded constantly and daily. And these past two years, I mean, I, I, I can only now begin to empathize with the 19 teens folks who lived through the influenza epidemic because my goodness, our lives shattered and had to be mm -hmm. re-put together. Not only was it the teachers, but our students stepped up. You know, mm -hmm. they assumed big roles, taking care of little brothers and sisters, getting jobs, going out and making sure that the, that they did stuff. And now mm -hmm. some of them are on the jobs or college or the military, and they're doing big stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know... As adults, sometimes I think we need to stop for a second and think about I when I was 18, I sure as heck was not doing oh, something no. we were doing. <laughs> yeah. You <no>. know. <laughs> I I I mean I, I learned a lot. I was a pretty okay 18-year-old, but yeah, thank goodness that SUNY Fredonia, my undergrad, had the dining halls, because I don't know if I would have eaten if there <laughs> wasn't been the dining halls at SUNY Fredonia, you know? Yeah, that's, um, yeah, no, I would not have been, I don't know how I would have survived as, I mean, to think about what our kids have been through in the last couple of years, and and it's hard for everybody, you know, it's, it, I've, I've heard um, some people say our kids haven't been resilient, they haven't you know, bounce back. And I think to myself, man, some adults haven't been resilient. Like we haven't been awesome models for that. How can we expect them to be able to do it when some of I us know. can't? And, and they really have, uh, they've been amazing. And that's a theme that comes up over and over and over in the book, right? Is I, uh, what was that song from the late 2000s, Tub Thumping by Shawamba? I get knocked down, but I get knocked up again. Oh, yeah, yeah. I stand up again. Yeah, yeah. And, and this leads directly into the next question is, if I had to do something over again, what would I do, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sarah, you couldn't have been a knucklehead. You were just Dr. Thomas waiting to chrysalis. <laughs> you know, uh, I, 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 I would do so many things over again, but the biggest thing I would have done is I would have slowed down a lot. I would have slowed down a lot. My mom, Pat, who, uh, along with my dad, Al, and my brother, Nick, and Marissa, and uh, Timothy and Abby, my nephew and my niece and my sister, Emily, um, and my godmothers, Terry and Charlotte, my grandparents, um, they used to always tell me that I was trying to run before I could roll over. They were saying, you want to do a marathon before you can learn to stand up. And I would have slowed down and I would have enjoyed life because I fell into the trap of the next goal is the goal. Keep going. And this is something that I think as a society, we need to call pauses on. You know, earning a PhD, that was a pretty big deal. You know, um, writing the books, very big deals. But you know what else was also a big deal? Being out in the middle of Philmont, New Mexico for a scout training 
and seeing the sun <clears throat> come up over the tooth of time. That was back before we had cameras in our phones, so we actually needed disposable cameras. I was too busy trying to make, make the next peak, and I didn't stop and see that sunrise. So mm. now I stop. I look at a sunrise. Um, I watch deer cross the road. I, I drive through some rural parts of upstate New York. Yes, New York has rural. Um, you know, I watch turkeys crossing the road. I'm telling folks in my book, slow down. Understand that what you're doing, what you're going through, your decisions, your actions, allow yourself to reflect, allow yourself to pace. We all have the same destination, but boy, is the journey going to be different. And let's enjoy that journey. You know, yeah. I, I, I love the fact that once I got to wade in the Atlantic Ocean, that was awe-inspiring and powerful because when those waves hit you, boy, are you cold. <laughs> and boy, do you realize that the world is moving. Mm -hmm. But it's awe-inspiring to feel that ocean. So let, let's all pause and watch the sun rise or the sun set and put your phones down, y'all. <laughs> that's that's actually um the number like people are always saying to me what would you what advice would you give new teachers and i know what they're looking for they're looking for like you know get really good at classroom management or learn to work with your leader or something like that and though actually the one thing i never did that i wish i could go back and fix um, was in the classroom I never did that. I was always on to the next thing. I was never present with my students to really enjoy some of the things that were happening in the classroom. Um, and, and, you know, I was focused on, on behavior issues and I was focused on things that um, sometimes uh, make you forget the joy that can also be happening in a classroom. And so that's always my number one thing that I say is that when you get into the classroom, don't forget to be present with your students mm -hmm. and enjoy the things that are going on around mm -hmm. you. Because that is, to me, that's what keeps the passion going. That mm -hmm. you know, keeps you going in this, in this crazy, really difficult profession that we do. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's because of the continuous improvement model and the standards model and all of that. I, uh, <clears throat> I hope that um, people realize that, um, one of my student teachers was doing a, a presentation and as the kids got up, they went, Oh, we don't want to go. We're having too much fun. And they were talking with each other all the way out the door about this amazing science lesson. And the young student teacher turns to me and says, I did this wrong. I did this wrong. I did this mm -hmm. right. And, and I stopped the individual and I said, they left going. They didn't want to stop. Yeah, you epically, and I gave a high five. <laughs> won the day, the <laughs> second high five, right? And yeah. I said that moment is gold. Bottle mm. it because ninety nine point nine eight percent of the time they're gonna go. Oh, all right, on to something fun like lunch. Yeah, 
but they stopped and wanted to hear more, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing. We've got to stop thinking about education and control. We have to make a little switch and as a cog in the machine and make it more about joy and finding the uniqueness and the ever present amazingness of when a five-year-old turns to you and go, so that's why butterflies are so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Casey, I'm so, uh, so happy for you. And, and tell us, I, I want to, um, we still have one more question and I want to get to that, but before I do that, I want to just say that I'm, I'm so happy for you that your book is out. I am so, um, and I, I mean this in the most caring way. I'm so proud of you for, you. you know, going through the process again. It's not an easy process. People think people just write books <laughs> and it's, it's not always an easy process. And, um, and your book is, it really is fantastic. And one thing that would I, I would love for you to address is um, the audience of this book, because we've talked a lot about pre-service teachers and I don't want people to think that that's the only thing that the, right. the the only audience that the book is for. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about that? And I'm going to put the, the um, book up here. Yeah. So, you know, thank you for um, finding and helping with me with my blind spot, Mandy, as you did so many times during the course of a book, um, the expression, it takes a village does not begin to encompass how much love and support I've received from my edumatch colleagues, Dr. Sarah, Mandy, Melody, my folks who were on my uh, uh, author group, including Aaron Sorison of the Capital Region Teacher Center, uh, Nancy Hinckley, who is my mentor and friend and yells at me that I gave her way too much credit in the book, but I truly yeah. meant every word I said, uh, to Perry Nelson, who asked me to really think hard about what it means to be a public author and a public scholar. Um, Martha Aslan, who believed in me when nobody else would as a professional. This book is designed for anyone in any way, a, any shape or form interested or engaging in teaching, not just pre-service teachers, but folks who have been in for a few years who are beginning to think, well, where do I go next? Because we don't have a good defined career ladder in our profession. Uh, normally, people become a principal, they go and they work up at the district level, maybe they become a superintendent. But what if your joy and your passion is working with education and doing education-related things? Mm -hmm. Becoming a principal is moving a little bit out of that world and into a management world. So I try to offer a couple of alternative paths through personal narrative that sometimes you get to the destination by taking the really circuitous journey. Everybody today talks about, they put their GPS on the most direct route. Well, why don't you take the most, most scenic route? You might enjoy something. Um, I also feel that this is a really great book for people who don't understand what a spouse or a loved one is going through or somebody who is in a leadership role of how to support a teacher. Um, you know, what, one of the areas that I think, Mandy, really hit me over the head and 
caused me to reflect. Melody asked me to talk about what happened as a young professional and how I didn't quite exactly get the welcoming environment I thought I was going to. And I thought about it and I actually sort of kind of created a, a model of different types of bullies. And I think that I'd, I'd like people, especially that chapter, to, to really focus in on the fact that there are some different types of bullies. And I'm talking about adults <laughs> mm -hmm. because students are one thing, you know, but uh, how in the heck is in the caring profession like education we have bullies? You know, how is it that because somebody decided that maybe um, my breath wasn't as fresh as it could be that <laughs> they felt empowered to put scope in my mailbox with a note here, you might want to use this. You're smart. Oh, right. Or, you know, something other where it just felt like you are not welcome here. You are not one of us. And Melody McAllister of the I'm Sorry story really pushed me to think through that and to talk about how impactful that was. Mm -hmm. And... It, you learn a lot when you're reflecting on, boy, that could have gone one of three different ways. And I chose the fourth, <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, but, uh, but I think that it's really, really important for us to understand this. If you're not aware of what you're doing and you're causing others pain, you got to be better. But if you are intentionally going out to causing people pain, that's when somebody of import or value has to step in because I think there's way too much. We'll, we'll, we'll just let it slide. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's not something that's talked about because how could we possibly allow for adult bullies when we tell kids not to bully all the time? And I, you know, like how, how is, how could that possibly be a thing? It feels like that that wouldn't even exist in our profession. Um, and uh, I've had um, conversations recently with people where um, I've said the things that we tell kids to do to combat bullying does not work. Mm -mm. Like if you ever try to do those things as an adult, it's not going to work any differently. It doesn't work. Ignoring them doesn't work. Um, you know, standing up for yourself doesn't work. It, eventually somebody has to step in. And, mm -hmm. and I think that that's, that's something we need to talk more about as a profession actually is, is are those kinds of things that happen and how they impact the climate and culture of a school. Um, one of the other things that I love about your book, and we're running out of time, so we got to wrap it up. But one of the other things I love is your focus on identity um, and, and trying to figure out exactly who you are as a teacher within this journey of this profession. And I think that's really important because a lot of what the pandemic is doing right now is causing us to lose our identity. We've forgotten who we are because we're not the same teachers we were in the beginning of the pandemic. And for some of us, that's great. But for some of us, the things that, that made us strong are now, you know, either 
not available or we're not using them as much or whatever it is, or even, um, you know, if we really felt like we are strong at relationship building and we had all of that time online when building relationships isn't as easy. Um, and so I think that the identity piece of your book is a, is a really important piece as well. Um, but one thing I would love to do uh, as we're wrapping up here is that we have to pick winners of your book. Yes, we get to we pick do. winners. Yes, we do. So um, I am going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to scroll through the comments and you can tell me when to stop and I'm going to pick the person who's at the top. So I'm scrolling now. You can tell me whenever. Stop. Okay. Well, Sarah Thomas is at the top. So we're going to go with Michael Harvey. Yeah, Michael, you can um, actually, um, let me get to the banner here. You can contact um, Dr. J here um, at KCJ underscore EDU. You can get him on Twitter and, and give him your, your information and, and he will uh, get you one of those books signed, sealed and delivered as soon as he receives them as well. And then we have one more. Stop. Okay, Desmond Hasty. Yay, Desmond! YouTube video is. I think it might have been that I get knocked down song. (laughs) (laughs) That was the comment. So um, Desmond as well can reach out uh, to you and um, get one of the books. uh, Get one of the books sent to him too. So um, again, so happy for you. So excited that your second book is out. Um, Why don't you tell us where people can find you and the title of your first book so that they can find that one too. Uh, Thinking About Teaching is the title of my first book that is also available from Edumatch. It's been adopted by a couple of courses, so it might be something to think about if you're a faculty member or know a faculty member. Um, Where they can find me is, of course, at KCJ underscore EDU. I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn. I'm also uh, pretty active on Facebook, and uh, if you Google me, I'm the only one that comes up, because apparently I've uh, got a really unique last name, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) unless you're in, you know, the Northeast or the Midwest, Um, and uh, tonight while I'm launching, my Buffalo Bills are getting ready to play the New England Patriots, so Mm. hopefully I'll give them some good luck, because I am a (laughs) diehard Bills fan. Um, you know, the, uh, other area I want to, I just want to share with people is my passion truly is rural education and civic engagement. So if you think that, um, one of the areas that we need to do is we need to think about how to engage in productive discussion and productive discourse. And so please let us all be nice to each other because <laughs> the pandemic's not over. And uh, I was in a service organization as a uh, youth uh, called Alpha Phi Omega, which is right out of the scouting program. And mm-hmm. I am relearning my Greek letters with a lot more force than I thought I was going to. <laughs> no kidding, right? We don't need yeah. to ever see those again, I feel like. No. No, no. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Casey, um, congratulations again. And uh, for everybody else, um, I hope Michael's still uh, commenting on your 
on your bills here. Um, <laughs> but for everybody who is looking to purchase this in bulk, you can absolutely do that as well. And you can do that by contacting um, Sarah Thomas at edumatchbooks at edumatchers.org. And um, we give discounts for 10 books and over. So it's not even that many really to purchase for an entire faculty. Um, and you can, again, contact Sarah for that. You can find Cog in the Machine um, and more at edumatchpublishing.com. You can also find Cog in the Machine at, say it's, that's really hard to say uh, <laughs> really fast, um, on Amazon or Barnes and Noble um, and hopefully in your local bookstore. So um, if you have any questions, please reach out to uh, Dr. J to get those answered for you. But otherwise, again, Casey, congratulations. And uh, from all of us here at Edumatch, have an amazing night. Thank you, thank you. It's Edge Match. Edge Match. It's Edge Match. You're at Edge Match. Edge Match. Don't miss Edge Match.